This week on the Tech on Top podcast, AJ Casamento of Broadcom and Ant Terrell of NetApp join us to talk all about how to secure your SAN environments. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have a couple of special guests to talk to us all about how we secure SAN environments. Um, I think that's one thing that kind of gets overlooked in all the security talk because we talk, we focus a lot on NAS and that sort of thing. But SAN is also important uh, and we'll talk about how that works here. But to do that today, we brought along AJ Casamento. Uh, so AJ, what do you do and how do I reach you? Yeah, I'm a principal R&D engineer at the Brocade Storage Networking Division of Broadcom, and you can reach me at aj.casamento, that's C-A-S-A-M-E-N-T-O, at broadcom.com. All right, excellent. Also with us today, Ant Terrell from NetApp is here. So Ant, what do you do here at NetApp, and how do we reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a principal consulting solutions architect uh, for NetApp based in EMEA. Um, um, you know, my role is is kind of focusing on helping our helping our customers build um, hybrid cloud environments across you know on-prem infrastructure with, where, where we see a lot, obviously a lot of SAN, um, and and kind of heading into the cloud a little bit with some of those workloads these days. Um, and yeah, might my, my t- get me at my email, which is uh, tyrell at netapp.com. So T Y R E W L at netapp.com. All right, excellent. So you know, to talk about security, we have to kind of understand why we'd be needing to think about security. And part of that is understanding what sort of attack surfaces are out there for SAN. So AJ, you know, what do you see in in terms of SAN? Like where can breaches happen? It's not like your normal NAS environment where, you know, you have access to an authentication piece and you get in. There's, There's other aspects to the SAN models that might come into play. So what are you seeing? Yeah, so from our side, the, the, the scenario is a little bit different. The, the connectivity level that you see in, in fiber channel SAN is not, um, not quite the same as one thinks about when one thinks about a normal, a normal network, right? So <clears throat> from our side, devices, as they come in, are registered into the, into the name service and then zoned in place. And so functionally, what you see is um, a view from the server side that, that the only thing it can see is the storage that it, that is uh, port that's allocated to it, right? And so the network, the scope of the network, that's visible to anybody who who hacks that server, because um, that's that that would be the the primary intrusion point in in the in the scenario. The view, the network topology view that that would be apparent there is, hey, there's only one other element in this network, right? Other than the switch I'm talking across. I think one of the other things that that's a little different about it um, is that. The data transfers are all done through a protocol which is separate from any from any control plane. So if we if we look at the the AFF platforms, right, that would be the the storage target in the SAN. You know, the control plane um, there is isolated from the data plane. So the data is going to the AFF over the SAN uh, on a couple of different protocols. Um, Justin, it's either going to be uh, FCP, which is serial SCSI three over fiber channel, it's going to be FCNVMe two, which is NVMe over fiber channel, or it's going to be FICON, uh, which is the mainframe uh, protocol that's in that's uh, that's in use. And so, one of those three protocols is going to be used to move data, but 
none of those protocols are control plane protocols. And so no access to the data transfer side of that gives the, the hacker that owns the server now any visibility to anything other than the storage which is which is allocated to them, right? Similarly for the for the AFFs, your management plane, the control plane within the within the array is accessed through the, you know, through the management subnet. And so as as is the access um, or the or the, the management uh, interface, the control plane for our switch fabric is is through the management subnet. And so, you know, we then have to harden uh, our environments at the at the OS level as uh, as as well, right? And so we we work pretty uh, uh, pretty hard on that. So one of the one of the other just sort of side note issues for us has has been oddly um, enough customers uh, exposing in, unintentionally exposing information about their platforms and environment when they're dealing with counterfeit software. Uh, environments and so because they they're so here a little bit of a little bit of a safety tip for for any customers picking this up buy your software licenses through NetApp or your you know your favorite channel partner or or, or OEM buy them from a respected trusted source you know if you don't don't go to to Joe's software shop and and you know if the if the discount is ninety percent and it sounds really too good to be true you know it's too good to be true and don't be disclosing data. To that person about the worldwide names of your platforms and IP addresses and so on, right? That's that's not a good that's not a good plan. Right? You're telling me that I get so, what you're for. Yeah, kind kind of, and and you know, it's it's uh, you know, it just just because they're selling you a you know a counter a counterfeit license, you know, doesn't mean that their threat to you stops there, right? Why why would they not then turn around and sell the data or use the data that you're giving them, you know, to provide threat threat thresholds into your into your environment and then uh, others other stuff that that we that we look to do is obviously having to, to harden our os like, like anybody else justin um the os and the switches um every time there's a new vulnerability the, the log4j was the most recent one right so it we don't really we don't really use it so it didn't it didn't really affect us uh, in the same fashion that it did did some other platforms but that doesn't mean that we don't still have to go out and evaluate it. Make sure that 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 we we take all the proper steps um, to to mitigate um, the issue. Make sure the right patches are in place and so on. Every single time there's a there's a, a new threat vector um, identified. Yeah, this is kind of like what we used to face back in the old days of the internet, right? With BitTorrents and that sort of thing. You know, you're downloading free software and music and all that, but you are definitely taking on the risk of downloading these yeah. free things. You have no idea what's what what might be around. I mean, look at the um, SolarWinds people, right? You know, that was a that was a massive um, platform hack. For people and, the, and and that was there for for months, as I understand it, um, be, before anybody knew knew it was there, right? So you got to be you got to be careful. So so as far as you know, attack surfaces go. I mean, the network itself isn't that big of a risk because it's very segmented, right? You're, you're isolated out. You've got zoning in place, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, you know, a, a translation for, for folks, for folks that are more traditional on the IP side, you know, think of, think of single initiator, single target zoning, which is the standard in, in fiber channel as, as sort of an equivalent to MACSEC, you know, on a port by port basis. Right. So, so, you know, um, if you if you 
make a zone. So maybe you've got 30 servers, Justin, that, that, that are talking to a port on an AFF 700 um, platform. You would create a, generally for us, you'd create a peer zone, right? And, and in that zone, so it's a single zone with the 30 servers and the one port from the, uh, from the AFF. But logically, the way, that, the way that functions is each of the servers as peers can only see the AFF port, which they were going to be zoned to anyway, right? And they can't see each other. No traffic goes between them, not even state change notification, nothing, right? The, the AFF port is the intelligent entity in that, in that zone. So it sees all of the servers, which it was going to anyway, right? And then the, the, the LUN masking or the namespace ID um, masking within the AFF 700 um, is, is what controls how the, how the data goes to the right partition uh, on, the, on the back end, right? But from our side, that zone is a hardware-enforced zone, right? There's, there's no way around it. There's no, you know, there's no mechanism uh, to spoof it. And you can, there's actually additional mechanisms um, that, that we have that allow you to lock down. So the worldwide name on the, on the HPA in the server um, you can actually set up through through a, a policy set called DCC or device connection control. You can actually set up so that that HBA can literally that worldwide name can literally only get a fabric login on a specific port in the same fabric. And so even if somebody tries to spoof that address someplace else, they get nothing, not a right zilch. And those are hardware enforced zones, right? And so, uh, you, you know, it's it's like a really big bad bouncer at the door to the party, Justin, right? You're either on the invite list or you're not. And doesn't matter how good looking you are, you ain't getting through, you know? You know, you're focusing a lot on fiber channel, but we do have things branching into the TCP space. You know, you've always had iSCSI, um, but now you've got things like NVMe over TCP. So tell me a little bit how that security m- mindset has to change there. Yeah, so so I think one of the things that you that people really really need to pay attention to is depth of defense. And this was a, this was a um, this was a lesson I was taught far too many decades ago by a government customer here in the U.S. Uh, who was very very adamant with me one day. I'll use that phrase um, that that the only truly secure system is one that is uh, shut down, unplugged, and locked in a vault, and even that can be stolen. Right. And if everything focuses solely on, say, you know, because there are customers out there, that, well, you know, I, I have a firewall to the, to the Internet. And it's like, great. But, you know, if that's your concept of, of security and depth of defense, that's the hard candy shell around the soft chewy center. As soon as that's cracked, you're done. Right. And so people need to be thinking through, um, you know, standard, standard policies. Right. What, what's in the same um, uh, in the same subnet. Right. Uh, what's in the same VLAN, right? What am I doing for uh, for security levels and, and authentication levels? They they really need to to think about this as a as a depth of defense sort of sort of scenario. And one of the things that I would say to people is, do not underestimate the value proposition of an enterprise array in that scenario, right? Because the the difference there is, um, you know, if you if you think about it in terms of, you know. There's, there's customers out there doing roll your own uh, software defined storage, and that's that's fine. You know, you can you can do that. There's use cases for that. I, I understand that, but at that point, a, a, a single server that gets hacked now now has control of the data that's in that in that storage internally, 
And if that data, if that, if that disk or disks are also the mirror, as is pretty typical for another application on another server, they've got that as well. And they can see the network and so on and so on, right? The difference being in your, um, in your AFF platforms um, with, uh, with IP storage as well, right? You control what the access is to the, to the backend. You control what, what partitions are seen or not seen, right? And, and the hacked server can't alter that configuration, right? It can't alter any of the parameters that the AFF controls um, within that. It can't, it can't see that, right? And so I think people need to think, think about that you know, a little more seriously. And don't, don't just be dismissive of, of, of the enterprise arrays and, and think, oh, I can get all exactly the same stuff you know, and in a, in a role, my own scenario with, with freeware or shareware, you know, out, out there in the, uh, in the servers. So I, I spent a lot of time with the NAS environments with packet traces. So I can see the data going over the wire provided it's not encrypted, right? So if we have things like SMB encryption or curb 5P, then, you know, that's out the window. How, how does a packet capture or even like a, a, a fiber channel capture, you know, how useful is that to glean what data is coming over a block protocol versus like a NAS protocol? First of all, it's it's much harder to do because there's no particularly non-disruptive way to to insert you know any kind of uh, analytic equipment into the uh, into the stream. You're gonna you're gonna see you're gonna see the disruption, right? And so, needs physical physical access as well, AJ. You know, physical access is yeah. a big part of of, of that too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say this, guys, uh, you know, I, I did make the mistake at one point of, of going through the whole list of here's what you'd have to have access to. Here's what you, but because in my head, on you're completely correct, right? And the bank that I was talking to at the time, you know, to them, I'm describing one of their own employees and a disgruntled bank employee is like one of their biggest nightmares, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't, in fact, chilling them out as much as I thought I was in that in that in that particular instance. But yeah, it, it does. It requires the physical access. It requires somebody who knows uh, which platform to go to. That's challenging. Being attached, and this, so this is a little different, right? There's no there's no equivalent mechanism of snooping on a shared infrastructure. So even though your traffic's going over the same interswitch links as, as somebody else, um, it's not the same as, as being connected to the same VLAN in a subnet. There's, there's no equivalent uh, group level visibility, I guess I would say, that lets you see the, the data that's going to, to, to other platforms. Um, and so the only, the only data that they can see is the data for the server that they hacked. With the optical networking, literally you have to you have to gain physical access, and then you have to in, you have to insert a tap, right? Which is going to cause a brief loss of signal, you know. But but there's going to be alerts. Hey, we 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 lost we lost signal on this port. Why did we lose signal on this port? Um, kind of kind of scenario. Someone who who has put in a tap, and then so so one of the you know one of the challenges that you get into is. Uh, any more advanced tool is always is always a bigger risk, right? And what what I mean by that is, all of the same tools that we think about to make life easy for virtual system administration, um, you know, for VMware or any other hypervisor for for oh, this application is seeing a load spike, so we need to clone some more elements um, to to mirror um, the existing nodes that are in that, that that are in that cluster and so on. All the same tools that let you do that. Um, would arguably let you create a clone of that application that sits on the worst performing server in a corner someplace until the 
server admins ready to to make away with the data, right? So, you know, it's always it's always that balance between these tools that make life so much simpler for you, and then the risk that comes that comes along with those tools. But in the in the optical networking space, it's hard to um, to insert an analyzer in without being noticed. Tools that use those taps at that point. Justin, to answer your question more directly, um, uh, you know, you can you can see the entire frame, uh, you can see you can see the payload um, with a with a with a live tap that's that's basically um, reading the data in in parallel to sending it. Yeah, but I mean, can you see things like file names, and can you see things like you know user identities and that sort of thing, or is it simply just you know data that's like inside the file itself and Honestly, I've I've looked at like NAS traces and the data itself. Yeah. You have to have a decryptor ring to get most of that data out anyway. So it's already hard enough. Yeah, yeah it's not. I mean, it's um, it's it's a scenario where what you're going to see basically, you know, in the header, you're going to see the source ID, destination ID. Um, you will, however, see. Um, and, and this is something we use for our, for our, for our telemetry in the, in the header. We also see, um, which LUN or which namespace ID, um, you know, under, underneath it, because we can see the, the NVMe command or the SCSI command that's in the, that's in the header as well in our telemetry platform. So we build telemetry into the ASIC, into the power channel switches. We, we never look at payload. So we have no idea. The payload could be anything. Um, to a degree, we don't really care what the payload is either. So the payload could be SCSI, the payload could be NVMe, uh, the payload could be uh, could be FICON frames. You know, we don't we don't care. I, I think in in Ant's world they call them uh, articulated trucks, but we, we would call them eighteen wheelers over here. You know, we carry the data. We don't know what's we don't know what's inside inside the payload. So we can see where it's going and things of that nature. Um, but no, you would actually have to look into the look into the payload and and have some understanding of of what's being addressed to, to, to see anything with that. Yeah. And if you're really concerned about someone seeing that payload, if you, if you're using like a, a, a TCP network, you do have the protection of things like IPsec, which can encrypt that in-flight data to prevent against that. Yeah. yeah and, and for us, um, where, where we see that, um, most, most commonly, and people used to think this was a really paranoid statement, but I, I, I don't think people are thinking it that way anymore, to be honest. Um, no clear data outside the, the four walls. So no clear text outside the four walls. If it goes outside the four walls, and, and I have customers, we have, we have shared customers because we have pretty big government footprints, where that's true room to room, right? So in, in the building, right? If it goes outside the, 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 the four walls, uh, it gets encrypted, and so what we what we've got in the in the fiber channel SAN. So when when you buy the um, the platform, is in base hardware um, for links and customers do this room to room within a building. They do it across buildings or between buildings across a campus. Um, they can do it in a metro area. There's actually both a a two for one compression in hardware and a 256 bit AES encryption in hardware okay you know once the stream is established you know between the between the two data centers or between the two rooms um you know basically it runs it runs at line rate and so 
that's what customers do when the when the fiber is when the fiber is going outside and it's a pretty solid plan to just think through is hey if the data is leaving your room the data should be encrypted right you shouldn't be sending clear data out anywhere there's just too there's too many threat points there's too many insertion points i mean you go back some years right when target got hacked and what was that 140 million payment card uh, instances that something something like that at the time it was like the largest the largest breach they got in through the high volume air conditioning maintenance software right they found and so they hacked they hacked the provider for the HVAC systems uh, for the target stores and then found a store where the facilities network was cross connected to to the data network and that's how they got to to the to the payment systems okay I got to be honest with you, Justin. If if prior to that event, if you had asked me about the security of HVAC systems, I'd have looked at you like you were from Mars, right? Like, what the hell are you talking about, uh, HVAC systems? But you got to think it through. So we use we use TCP/IP to connect everything. Yeah, and that, that kind of brings up an interesting point because this is becoming more prevalent with refrigerators and coffee makers yeah. and internet connected, you know, so-called internet yeah. things. And you kind of touched on this in our before we started talking. So. Can you kind of flesh that out a little more that that attack vector becomes important as well? Because, you know, you don't even think about these things like you don't think about your coffee maker being a potential threat to your sand environment. No, no. And and, you know, the the funny thing is we really, really I mean, how often do you use the camera on your phone or, um, you know, whatever to, to, to scan a QR code? without really knowing what the QR code is, right? It's an information post, it's something, right? You know, whatever, right? This won't necessarily mean anything to our, to our, to our friends outside of the US, but, you know, during the Super Bowl, there was, a, there was a point in time where the screen showed just this massive QR code with no explanation of anything, right? And, and people were writing uh, jokes about, you know, as soon as that QR code went up, you know, the, the souls of uh, security admins across the country you know, just cringed, um, thinking how many of their of the employees that they deal with in their companies, you know, scanned that QR code without having the faintest idea what it was or where it was going. And yeah, okay, it was an advertisement and it apparently didn't work particularly well. But you know, what if it had been a hack, you know, and and somebody pops a QR code someplace, you know, and and you and you scan it? What's it going to lead to? What does it download? You know, what's it what's it put into uh, into your into your environment, right? So you, you start looking at those kinds of scenarios and getting to the, the, the network through the employees, you know, becomes, becomes one of the, you know, one of the, one of the potentials, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody really succeeds too well with scattering USB drives, you know, around the parking lot anymore. Um, that used to be, a, that used to be a thing, right. Get, get people to pick up a, you know, a USB drive. Oh, look, a USB drive. Uh, I wonder what's on it kind of. Kind of silliness, right? I don't, I don't think that succeeds too much anymore. But there's so many um, threat vectors and attack vectors through through the employees um, that that that's that that's one of the one of the big issues. The the advantage we have with a NetApp SAM, quite honestly, is it's it's an isolated environment, right? And it's dual redundant hardware isolated SAM fabrics, and so we we tend to talk about cyber reliability. You know the customers that 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 use those sand environments from NetApp, they're depending on that to run their core business, right? So, you know that's a that's a significant challenge for people. 
And that can't go away. There's no mechanism by which that it's allowable for that to fail. You know, whether it's healthcare, finance, you know, pharmaceutical modeling, you know, whatever it, whatever it might be, right? You know, that, that's got to be there. And so that, that resiliency of, of I've got completely isolated environments, even if somebody gets to the control plane on this fabric, right, and, and manages to get into one of the, one of the switches over here. And, and we do things like we took out root access. So there's now a maintenance account that, that people will use to do updates to the, to the platform, right? Because it's a, it's a Linux-based core and, you know, you give people root access at, at some point. It's, it's possible. We've not seen it, but it's possible that somebody could do something, you know, as, a, as an internal bad actor. Those kinds of things are significant, but it's a completely isolated environment away from the main, the main side network. And so the only access point um, that really comes in is if you hack into the server, right? Somebody comes in through the application server, they can, you know, that HBA provides connectivity into the sand fabric, but the only visibility it has is what it's zoned to. And so it's zoned to one or, or more ports, uh, you know, storage ports on AFF platforms, you know, that's, that's the maximum that it can see. And because that's just the data plane, Justin, there's no mechanism to send any control logic over that that lets you do anything. To anybody else in the in the in the fabric, um, and so you know that that level of, of threat is pretty minimized. That does not mean, however, that we don't spend significant time hardening our platforms so that the the new Gen Seven platforms from NetApp, Gen Seven Fiber Channel platforms, um, we're actually using a you know I'll, I'll use the phrase a silicon root of trust so that the the SAN switches and directors the the CPUs are actually going to vet the software image before it loads, right? So there's there's a complete security package in place there that, that will verify that image. Um, so no one can hack the image and 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 push a you know push a bogus uh, load image to the to to switches and 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 get in that way, right? So there's the SandNav management platform looks for um, things like hey you know you've got these ports open on on the Ethernet management interface. On switches or or directors in your environment that should not be open, or you've got these these protocols running, or you know, and you can actually lock that and have a known good gold image for what that security definition looks like, Justin, and then track if single admins uh, someplace start making changes to that to those security settings. You can you can see that you can see who did it. You have a choice actually. You can you can have the the management software. Um, automatically snap the configuration back to the known good gold standard, right? Or you or you can alert on it to the security team, right? So there's there's levels of, of thresholding you can do for that. So it's much more difficult. Now let's be fair, you don't use the SAN to to connect to all the edge devices. Right. So when you look at the IP networks, the IP networks are there and in place with the intent. Okay. Honestly, you know, having been around when when Ethernet first got defined and IP got started, no, we didn't actually think about it, or I didn't hear anybody describe it out of any of the engineering teams for connecting to your refrigerator or your or your coffee machine. But the idea that that pervasive connectivity, you know, that's true, and so it's a it's a different threatscape, if you will, than than the sand fabric because the sand fabric is isolated from that, and it is the backend network, right? And that's one of the reasons why. 
you know, 80% of the critical corporate data sits, sits in fiber channel, maybe only 20% of the ports trust in, but, but it's 80% of the critical data, right? And a lot of that rides on, on AFF systems for that reason. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're right. There's the, most of the SAN platforms use de- segmented networks on fiber channel, but if you're dealing with something like NVMe over TCP, which is going to give you better performance as well as the you know, use yeah. of a, an entire network that you already have. Now you don't have to worry about the infrastructure cost of fiber channel anymore. Now you can think more about expanding out your networks. That becomes a security risk that maybe people haven't thought about. Like, so, so I guess a best practice would be, you know, keep your SAN network segmented, even if they're on TCP, because you don't want to have a bad actor enter somewhere else and come into the SAN environment. And I was just talking with a, with a major company this past week that, that described as, you know, basically the scenario is, um, isolated ethernet switches. Now, some people think they can get away with just Phoenix. Some people think that I can partition ports within my, my top of rack switches um, and make these storage traffic only. By the way, also better for performance, the mixed networks are, uh, are more problematic, right? Because you do get elephant flow kind of challenges and so on that, that go on with certain applications and whatnot um, being mixed with um, with the small random bursty mode transactional payment card stuff and so on, right? So, you know, those the, the differences in those traffic can be problematic. So isolating the storage traffic away from the application traffic in general is a is a best practice. And, and funny enough, Justin, you know, and, and Ant's probably seen this as, as well, but I mean, like all the best practices for things like vSAN and whatnot actually specifically state you should isolate your Ethernet storage fabric. But this particular customer was actually putting in separate top of rack switches just for the the storage fabric. And I would make the argument that if you're looking for the 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 best level of of security um, as well as the best performance, that air gap isolation is is real. That's that's the that's the the gold standard for this, right? It needs the storage fabric. And and I don't care whether you pick InfiniBand, whether you pick you know IP, whether you pick fiber channel. The storage fabric should be an isolated fabric, right? Because that's where your data is going to reside. It may not be where, you know, yeah, I, I completely understand that the concept of the, you know, the Internet of Things, vast majority of, or vast amounts of data, at least, are being generated on the edge, but but it's not being manipulated and analyzed on the edge, right? It's being brought, it's being brought back in and and making sure that that, that, that data is is safe and protected you know, is there a bigger job than that or a more important job than that? You know, it's, it's, it's something people really need to think through. And I know it's easy to say, well, I'll just throw it into my front side client server network. Think about that because that's where everything connects and that's where everyone, you know, everyone gets access to. And it's, it's, it's hard to lock that down and provide the level of connectivity that your end user clients are expecting. So, Ant, you know, you probably deal with this a lot and this, these questions a lot. When you're yeah. working with a customer and talking about NetApp and ONTAP and SAN, how are you reassuring them that, uh, you know, we indeed can protect their environments? Because there are some aspects of the storage that we offer that help pr- protect SAN environments as well. Can you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And I just want to echo AJ's point there, Justin. You know, I, I think... When it comes to the kind of fiber channel versus IP conversation, in my experience, the last you know ten years, there's been a slow drift. I think in some organisations, 
in terms of, I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, they've got less, less secure or less kind of focused on that. I just think there's been a natural drift more towards IP because of you know, various functionality, speed improvements, you know, the, the, the integration of that cl- cloud and, and the ease of moving data around. IP just generally is a little bit easier at times to do some of those things. Um, however, personally, the la- in the last 18 months or so, speaking to customers, there's been a, a, almost, a, almost a jolt in the industry, you know, with, with everything that's gone on with the, the kind of pandemic and the, you know, the, the more people working remotely. I think it's recognised now that they, as, you, as we've touched on, you know, the, the number of attack vectors has multiplied significantly in the last two years. You know, you've got people with admin access now connecting remotely into data centres using VPNs and things. So I, I think the last 18 months, two years, has actually jolted some organisations into realising, oh, wow, okay, maybe we haven't got this completely locked down the way we want it to. And there's been a little bit of a refocus on, on things like Fibre Channel, and, uh, in, in particular for some of those kind of crown jewels applications. And, and I don't think, in my view, I don't think they're ever going to go away. Um, they're never, you know, some of those workloads are never going to end up running on the cloud for, for lots and lots of organizations, I don't think. Um, you've only got to look at, you know, we, we, we published our Q3 earnings a few weeks ago. Our hybrid cloud business is still growing. You know, cloud is growing much quicker, obviously, but organizations are still buying physical hardware, particularly AFX. You know, they grew 23% year over year, I think it was in Q3. So, and a significant amount of that is used to connect into SAN fabrics and SAN networks. There's an obvious need there for this, you know, separation and isolation for that reason. And then when you look at ONTAP itself, because that's the world I'm, I'm primarily focused on, you know, I apologize to our solid fryer and E-Series brothers and sisters um, but yeah, my, my, my world is kind of the onset product portfolio. And that, that in, its, in of itself has got exactly some of the things that AJ's already touched on. You know, we've got multi-factor authentication built in. Um, we've got layers of encryption, at, you know, when it comes to data over the wire as well as data at rest. So, we, you know, we, we, we encrypt all of our, our replication traffic. Um, we've got layers of, of encryption, whether you want to do it at the drive level or at the software level. Um, all of these things are, are validated with FIPS level certifications. Um, and, I, I, you know, it would be remiss of me not to mention at least one one, one piece of certification that we gained at the tail end of last year, um, which was the, the CSFC um, uh, certification over in the US, which is a, you know, it's a US-centric one, but obviously I think, you know, you guys are over there and, and we are a US company. Um, but that basically says that, you know, that the US government treat ONTAP systems as being secure enough to host, you know, secret and top secret data. So I think that's about as high as a, of acknowledgement that you can get, you know, that you yeah. know, we're, we're, doing the, we're doing the right things with ONSAP in terms of keeping customers' data secure. You brought up the being over here with the U.S. and the government's qualifications, that sort of thing. That kind of raises another question is about regulations and how they differ across the globe. So, you know, yeah. some countries have regulations yeah. about keeping data private and, you know, the right to be forgotten. Other countries don't have necessarily that level of scrutiny, but there's also the aspect of when you get breached or you have a ransomware attack, whether or not you have to disclose that. So can can we kind of cover it from the EMEA side where you're familiar with, and then AJ, if you could kind of go into what you know about the US side. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So I, I think it was quite, quite widely publicized, rightly so at the time, but back in 2018, there was a piece of EU re- legislation released called GDPR um, and the that, you know, some of the fines involved in, in, in breaching those regulations are quite significant. You know, it's up to 4% of annual global turnover. So it quite, can be a, a significant amount if 
you know, if, if an organisation is deemed to have, you know, breached those regulations. And as you say, that that breach may not have been, you know, negligence. It could, it, you know, it could be, it could be hackers getting in, it could be a ransomware attack, it could be a multitude of things. Um, but for, yeah, from a NetApp strategy perspective, we 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 have what we call a zero trust kind of policy or a zero trust uh, strategy. So all of our products, all of the way we, you know, the way we do business, our our, our internal employees, are, you know, are regularly kind of trained and coached on how to identify these threats. Um, but yeah, there's, there's been a huge focus on that the last the last the last couple of years, and and again, unfortunately, that the times that we're living in with what's going on, you know, in the Ukraine, we've seen a, a massive spike in. And ransomware attacks and phishing attempts. So, keep keeping data secure is 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 crucial just for the, you know, for the stability and the ongoing. You know, being having your business being able to carry on doing business essentially. You know, because some of these some of these attacks can be really really crippling. Um, and whether that decision is made over if it's a ransomware, whether you pay that ransom or not, is an, is another question. But yeah, if you do end up in that situation as an organisation, you then might well have the EU knocking on your door asking, you know. What 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 was hap- what happened there, and was that something that could have been prevented? And if there's been data leaked, particularly really secure, you know, really really kind of sensitive data like medical information, that that kind of stuff is is way up there in terms of the levels of security that need to be applied. Um, and you know, last couple of years, you've seen occasions where you'll see an article in the news of a you know an S3 bucket being left with a with a default password on the internet. You know, there's all kind of you know information grabbed that way. So. So some of this stuff can just be purely accidental, you know. No, no matter how how stringently we tie down our products, you know, some of these things can can be accidental. Um, but as as AJ mentioned before with Brocade, we've got similar kind of tools with Ontap where we can we can alert administrators when things aren't locked down or things are have not been done. We've got a, a security hardening guide for Ontap, particularly so TR four five six nine. So that walks customers through what you need to do to lock this platform down to you know to be as secure as it can be. And then, like I say, we've got you know encryption of things over the top to to try and make sure that if you know if 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 there is a breach of some kind, we've at least got that data in the form and that is not easily usable. Um, that whole zero trust policy that we have at NetApp is 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 born out of that realization that you are going to have things like insider threats, as AJ touched on earlier. Um, you know, and some of the logic and some of the security tools that we have is based on the premise that somebody's already inside. You know, you've already been hacked. What do you do now? How do you protect yourself now? You know, we've got a few things, particularly, like I say, with, with data at rest encryption. We've then got snap lock as well for the mutable snapshot. So even if you do have an insider threat and someone does get access to that data, they, we, 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 we can always make use of snap lock as a, as, as a, as a, a final kind of, you know, the final door in that, in that lay, in those layers of defense where those snapshots can't be deleted by anybody, you know, even, even NetApp engineer. I mean, we, 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 once a snapshot volume has been created and a clock being set, that data is locked for, 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 you know, forever, essentially for that, for the time period that that compliance is required. So, so there's a, there's a couple of layers, couple of layers to all this, as AJ touched on before, there's, it, 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 it's layers of defense and you've got to try and treat each layer slightly differently and have, have different tools and processes at each layer um, on the, on the proviso that, you know, somebody's going to get it somewhere. And how do you how do you best defend against that when that happens, and, and avoid a big fine from the EU if, if it does? Yeah, and I think if I may, that you know, just to follow on the, the the couple points there, you know, when people are rolling around for software defined storage, and people will do that, right? And, and I, as I said, you know, there's use cases, but but you know, a hacker who gains access to that platform, you know, owns the the disk drives that are inside that server. 
Right. And so that's different. So, you know, when, when Ed's talking about when you, when you, when you've got that locked volume, you know, it's, you can't even, even that app engineering can't delete it. Right. You know, that's, that's a stumbling block for ransomware people who are like, no, we, we need to get rid of all of your copies of the data and only have our copies of the, of the data around. Right. You know, that's, that's the whole rationale behind that. And I think the other thing too is, um, I think, you know, the hybrid cloud stuff is, 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 has clearly become the winner, I think in the, uh, in the environment, you know, there was early talk of everything's going to go to the cloud and data centers, you know, will go away. And I think the more rational view that people have taken is, you know, I can use my my NetApp platforms and ONTAP to to be the bridge between um, between the on-prem and 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 the cloud side of it. But you know, one of the one of the challenges you have is is that your environment's only as secure as the least secure element in your environment. And when you when you Put stuff out um, in somebody else's location. You're now dependent on them and their best security practices. And so, you know, when there is an S3 bucket that that's that's got a default password on it, you know, that's that's problematic. When you when you know when you put yourself into um, a a shared because it's one of the things that people forget is, you know, when you're spinning up stuff elsewhere, um, you know, are you spinning up dedicated, which is one price? You know, that's a, that's one version of credit card. You know. Uh, or are you or are you spinning up shared? Because everybody looks at the pricing for shared, you know. But then, who's your neighbor, and what's your neighbor's behavior, and and you know, are they being as secure? Are they following the same security policies that that your company follows? Are they being as as aware and as you know, is is their hygiene as good as security hygiene as good as your security hygiene, you know, in those in those environments? And that's that's a much harder a much harder concept. And so you know, I think. A lot of a lot of people have begun to look at no, I, I if I'm going to host outside, I, I want dedicated. I don't want, you know, shared is not is not where I where I where I want to be because I don't know what that other company's security policies are. And then to drop back to the question you actually asked me, Dustin, you know, here in here in the U.S., um, we aren't quite as I'm just going to say it. We're not quite as good about data data privacy here in the U.S. as as our as our friends in the in the European Union are. Um, I wish we were uh, to to a large degree, but there is legislation proposed that that I'm I'm personally in favor of that basically would force companies that pay ransomware to disclose that they were that they were hacked and, and that they paid the ransomware. And the premise behind that, and I mean, it may it, it seems unfair to some people, right? Because they're looking at it from a business perspective, and well, I don't I don't want to I don't want to tell the world, you know, or put bad news, bad publicity out in front of my customers. And it's like, yeah, but it's their personal data that got hacked, right? And can you guarantee that their data was not exposed in that hack? Right, and the answer to that, I believe, is no. You can't, not not readily, right? And and so then they have a right to know that their data was exposed, and, and maybe go change their logins or their or their or you know whatever security they're using for their payment card data, or God, you know, worst case, you know, health the, the healthcare data stuff, right? And you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff there that 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 becomes a problem. And so I, you know, we'll see whether or not it gets passed here, but um, and certainly the fines aren't as bad as bad here as, as they are elsewhere, but for the multinationals, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a concern, but you know, you're going to see more and more of that. I think Justin, I think you're going to see more and more demand from people that they, they want to know that their data is secure and they want to know that, that if, if something happened, they have a right to be told about it. Right. And so I think, I think companies are going to have to begin to cope with, Hey, uh, it's going to get more stringent and let's be honest, 
the volume of, of hackers and the volume of bad actors out there is is just getting worse, right? And whether it's for pay or whether it's government based or you know whatever, right? There's they're out there, and it's a, it's an ongoing threat. It really is. All right, so a lot to think about here, a lot to talk about. Um, you know, just to kind of sum it all up, you know, you have your your initial attack vector is coming into the network, right? And we kind of protect against that with SAN, with segmented networks, right? Um, access to the switch, of course, is protected with things like MFA, right, and logins and having strong passwords um, and having a list of only trusted people to get into it, um, having sign-out sheets, having logging and auditing. There, there's a lot of things that have to layer onto that. And then, of course, in flight, you have your encryption, right? You have the ability to do IPsec or you have the ability to use other means to try to make sure that traffic isn't readable over a trace, um, and then at rest, you have encryption there as well. You have volume encryption. You have disk encryption. Uh, so there's a lot there to unpack. There's a lot there to consider. But once you get it all in place, it's pretty much a self-fulfilling prophecy that you'll be mostly protected. And then in the event that you aren't protected, you have things like snapshots to roll back with ransomware breaches and that sort of thing. Did I miss anything? Did I did I cover it all there, AJ and Ant? I, I think you got it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. I can imagine being one guy having to, or one person having to deal with all that, right? Having to think about all those different aspects. So you really have to work as a team. There's a lot of different people you have to deal with and, and try to get that end-to-end solution there in place. Also, don't connect your coffee maker to your corporate network. <laughs> to your sand. <laughs> but it's so cool. I can, I can control the coffee with my app. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, awesome. All right. So uh, again, AJ, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Yeah. So my email is aj.casamento, that's C-A-S-A-M-E-N-T-O at broadcom.com. All right. And Ant. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Um, it's tittle at netapp.com. So T-Y-R-E-L-L at netapp.com. All right. Excellent. We'll include those in our blog. And again, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about how to secure your sand environments. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank AJ Casamento and Ant Terrell for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.